hear their stories, find out what's going on, and, and help them to know that we do care about what they're encountering. We don't just care about the life of that baby. We care about their lives, and we want to be able to help them navigate the situation that they're in and find solutions. Hey friends, welcome to another exciting edition of The Link. I am so glad you have joined us to our Woodside family. It's such a great uh, thing to have you with us. And then those who are outside of Woodside, we want you to know that we do this each and every week and we would love for you to tune in and join us. You know, this past Sunday was Sanctity of Life Sunday for us here at Woodside and for churches really across our nation and beyond. And it's always an exciting time because we get to declare one of the great messages of scripture. And that is that our God is a God of life who loves and protects life at all stages. And that's something that's worth celebrating. Today, we want to continue on that conversation. And I've brought a couple of great friends who are much smarter than I am to talk about this all-important topic. Sitting to my right is a good friend who's been on the link before, Laura Ferugia, who is the executive director of CareNet Berkeley Detroit. Thank you, Laura, for joining us. Thanks for having me back again. It is great to have you. And then to her right is another really good friend, Brad Smith, who works with Right to Life of Michigan and uh, is a strong advocate for life. Love you and your wife, Jesse, who was on the link before. This is your first time. Yes. But Brad, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I want to have a really important conversation because I think listening to us right now, I would say three kind of categories of people. One, those who say, yeah, this is a no-brainer, right? That uh, God loves life. We should protect life at all stages and phases. Uh, but then secondly, those who maybe haven't really uh, thought deeply about this, or maybe they have heard um, uh, propaganda that would say, no, uh, that we uh, shouldn't really be pro-life. Uh, and then I think thirdly are those who maybe have accepted it, but they're trying to have this conversation with someone they love, maybe a son or daughter or a friend. So let's try to have this conversation. So Laura, I'll start with you. What does sanctity of life mean when we say that? Or even pro-life? Yeah, I think that it just means that we believe uh, human life is sacred, that it is worthy of protection. And the reason we as believers think that um, goes back to scripture in the very beginning in Genesis. And I was just reading through Genesis 1 um, today and just how God created all the different things, the universe, the the plants, the trees, the, the fruit, the, the animals, the stars and the planets, and all those things were good. But then he created man in his own image. Yeah. And then he said that was very good. Yeah. And man has been given a special distinction of bearing the image of the creator, which means we, ref we reflect our creator and no other part of creation has that privilege. Yeah. And so we are special. We have been given a special position, and I think then we have a mandate to protect other people, other image bearers, because of who we are as created by God. Yeah, this was so uniquely Christian, right? Like in the first century in Rome, there was a culture of death. If a child was disabled, if they uh, sometimes even was just a female, they would often get cast to the side. But what Christianity introduces to the world is this whole concept of the image of God, that each one of us bears that. 
And I love that you took it back to the Word of God, because I think that a lot of people think of this first as a political issue, and it really is pre-partisan, pre-political. It really starts in the Word of God, and if we are going to be uh, followers of Christ, we need to reflect that. Now, Brad, I could hear someone saying, though, like, yeah, I get it. You guys are about protecting life in the womb, and certainly we are unapologetically, but it doesn't stop there, right? When the Bible talks to us about uh, being people of life, it often refers to the marginalized, those who are voiceless, those who are often victimized in this culture. We can talk about the poor. We can talk about the elderly. We can even talk about special needs. And I know that's near and dear to your heart. And I would love for you to talk about God's heart for the marginalized. Well, and for me, that's not hard because I do have a daughter with special needs. Faith has trisomy 18. A lot of people may not know what that is. Trisomy 21 is Down syndrome. Uh, it's a, an, it affects the 21st chromosome. Trisomy 18 is the 18th chromosome. It's called Edwards syndrome. It's much harsher. And it many times is one of those things that doctors will label as incompatible with life or a fatal fetal anomaly. And they so demean the human being that they target them in the womb. So they have tests so they can find the disabled child in the womb for the sole purpose of killing them for no other reason. And, and a doctor said this to us. He acknowledged it to us when I asked him, why would we have that test if you can't help our daughter? And it was so we could terminate her life. And so the value of every human being is important. It starts in the womb. Because if we won't protect it there, we won't protect it anywhere else. And I think the disabled child is the perfect example of that. Most people don't realize what's done to disabled children in our society. They have no clue that these kids are, when they're born, starved to death, starved to death, overdosed. They have treatment withheld from them. Um, we were lied to over and over by hospitals that kept, uh, that would not treat our daughter. So if you demean the value of the human being in the womb, you've just destroyed the value of the human being. So then it becomes easy to target them after they're born, when they're old, it, it, it doesn't stop. So that's why we must protect it across the board. We have to protect, especially the vulnerable, because if we protect them, we protect everybody. Yeah, so uh, those who would uh, be like me who would say, man, look at the evil of Nazi Germany wiping out the Jews. Look at the evil of slavery targeting uh, uh, you know, uh, Africans and wiping them out. Look at the evils that we've seen with the elderly and ageism. You all, I think all of that starts with valuing life in the womb and uh, I love this saying that the, uh, uh, every other human right starts with the right to be human. And, and this brings me back to the fundamental question that we have to ask when we're thinking about life in the womb, uh, when we're thinking about abortion even, is what's being terminated? Oftentimes we use these uh, phrases like um, you know, ending a pregnancy or terminating a pregnancy as uh, if it's not a human being in the womb. And I think that when we ask that question, it brings us to a very sobering reality that to terminate a, a pregnancy is to terminate a life. It is no different than all these other evils that we often decry. 
Um, but I want to talk about this from both a relational perspective and, yes, a legislative perspective, because you guys represent both sides of that coin. But let's talk about it from a relational perspective, because I do believe that God has called us to be a people of life, but he's also called us to be a people of grace and truth. So, Laura, how do you live that out, and how do you even engage people in this conversation around the sanctity of life? Well, I think that statement that you just made about, you know, what is that unborn child, um, going back to that with somebody and getting them to look at, you know, is this a human being? And then is it, is it ever right to take an innocent human life? That helps somebody to maybe just reframe how they've been thinking about their situation um, and, and get, you know, to look at it in the reality of this is a human life I'm thinking about taking um, getting people to look at, um, you know, how, how are your own needs, you're putting your own needs above the right of this baby to live, um, and, and just evaluating the whole situation, certainly listening to people and their stories. I mean, people's lives are hard. Yes. You know, we, we're working with a, a client today who's struggling with addiction, and she has a three-year-old that she desperately wants to maintain custody of, and she's pregnant again, and knows that you know that custody is at risk yes. if she doesn't get her addiction under control. Um, so there's there's those situations. There's people struggling with homelessness and yes. and relationship issues. All those things are really big things that we need to take seriously, and we need to listen to people about and hear their stories, find out what's going on, and and help them to know that we do care about what they're encountering. We don't just care about the life of that baby, we care about their lives and we wanna be able to help them navigate the situation that they're in and find solutions. Yeah, you know, one of the things I love about CareNet Berkeley Detroit is that I've seen up close and personal how you guys literally step into someone's story, step into their life to be able to support mom, to be able to support dad if he's there. Uh, and we do need men mentors. Yes, we do. Uh, desperately, desperately always yes. need men mentors because this is not just about mom, this is about the family unit. And yes, protecting the baby. And one of the things that I love about CareNet is that you're not only committed while uh, the mom is pregnant, but even after pregnancy, oftentimes walking uh, with that young family, resourcing them, caring for them because those situational factors that may lead someone to be abortion-minded are real and have to be um, addressed. You know, but Brad, I, I think about Right to Life and the work that you guys do. Can you share a little bit for those who don't know? Sure, so Right to Life of Michigan is a statewide organization and we have affili affiliates across the state. Uh, and our main purposes are twofold. We do education, so we are constantly trying to educate people and explain to them what abortion really is and, and help them understand it. And, but then we do legislative work as well. And that may mean actually working on bills to get passed through um, the, the, the state legislature and get signed into law. It may also mean helping pro-life leaders get elected to those positions so that we can get those things passed. Uh, but that is our, our two primary things uh, in terms of what we do as an organization. So let's go back to the same question I asked Laura, and that is, 
How do you have the conversation, Brad? How do you talk to people about your convictions about life and why it's so important? Oh, I, for me, it's pretty easy compared to maybe some other people because I just tell our story. I, I, I will start walking people through what we went through, how we were pushed to have an abortion, what happened after our, you know, here we thought <laughs> when we told them, no, we're not interested in abortion, we thought that would end the conversation. Little did we know uh, what would they would attempt to do to our child and by not treating her, by lying to us, withholding information from us, and she almost died. Um, and so I walked through those stories because and it's one of the things I, I, I keep trying to get people to understand. I think it helps, even if it's not your story, to tell someone else's story. I tell a friend of mine, um, I tell her story that she was conceived in rape. And, and at the time, it was illegal to have an abortion. So her mom had looked into having an abortion, decided not to because it was against the law. So literally the law is the reason she's alive today. So when people say the law doesn't matter, it absolutely matters. And, and, it's, and a lot of times it's just finding those stories, knowing them and being able to share them and walk it through with people because it's so much more powerful to use a human story of real life than it is to just make an argument. Yeah. Make your argument using a story. Yeah, and I think that when we tie it back to real people, uh, we get a chance to not only hear the story of the protection, but now get a chance to celebrate that they're alive. And so talk a little bit about your faith. How old is she now? She is 12 years old. She 12 just turned 12 on Praise December 23rd. Um, and yeah, she was not supposed to live. Just so people understand the numbers on this, 90% of children who are diagnosed with trisomy 18 in the womb are aborted. 90%. Of the 10% that are born alive, 90% of those children typically will not make it to their first birthday. So to put that in perspective, if you have 100 kids diagnosed in the womb, by age one, that's one left alive. That's it, one. Yeah, those are devastating numbers. And again, this is an injustice and one that we have to cry out against. But yet, uh, there are uh, other numbers, like the number of women who probably are watching us right now who maybe have had an abortion. And maybe the guilt of that is uh, weighing down in their heart, certainly. Um, that is a real thing, and we're sitting here as men, and we know a lot of men who live with uh, uh, the guilt, uh, the uh, resentment and frustration that often come along with that. So I would love for you to talk a little bit, Laura, about the post-abortive work that you guys do, because you do care about the, the heart of those who have lived through an abortion. Yeah, definitely. Um, that is a, uh, something that we deal with. We can deal with that one-on-one -on -one with somebody in a counseling room or even over the phone and just you know, starting that conversation. Those conversations are very hard for women to initiate. Um, many times women have held on to that secret for years and years before they are able to verbalize that. Um, once that starts though, we can um, do some work you know, personally with them. We can also refer them to other organizations that just deal with that, yeah. um, that have support groups or individual counselors that work with women and men. Um, and we like to utilize organizations like uh, Healing Hearts, which is one that uses a very biblically-based curriculum to walk women through understanding that, um, you know, first of all, recognizing the sin of abortion and um, seeking forgiveness through Christ 
and, and then the healing that comes from, from having that you know, confession and forgiveness, uh, which is possible, and a lot of women and men may not think it's possible, but it is. Yeah, well, you know, the Bible teaches us this, is that uh, Christ forgives all sin. And uh, you think about the characters of Scripture when you talk about individual stories. Uh, Paul was a murderer. David was a murderer. But, but both found forgiveness uh, in God. And so today I do want to say that if that's you and you need forgiveness, grace, and mercy, um, all of us are called to repentance in Christ Jesus, acknowledging our sin before a holy God, but accepting that the sacrifice of Christ on that cross uh, is greater than any sin we've ever committed. And I will say this, not only is forgiveness found, but I've always been convinced that in this conversation, the voice of the post-abortive mom or dad might be the most powerful voice to be able to look someone in the eye and say, I've been there before, don't do it. I can tell you what's on the other side of this choice. Uh, Brad, as a dad, uh, I would love for you to talk a little bit about how do you have this conversation with your children and maybe even equip them to have the conversation with their peers? Yeah, well, I think one of the best things that you can do, again, is for our kids, they use our story, they can talk about that, but understanding the value of life, making sure that you teach them that everyone is valuable, right? But I think one of the best ways you can do that as a parent is get them around people like that, right? So help them to meet disabled kids or people who, who have special needs and issues. Let them get around that. Uh, it's one of the greatest things that we could not have taught our, our children was having a disabled uh, sibling because they got to experience, I, I, I say, they reached an understanding of compassion that I didn't hit till I was 40 because of what they went through. So, but I think you can help that if you get them to meet people, help them, help them become friends and get to know them. It's more powerful, I think, than anything else, is if you'll get comfortable with it and you'll start to see the value in every human being at that point. Yeah, and I would just say this, that I do think that the next step for many who have accepted maybe a pro-life position politically uh, is to make sure that you are stepping into lives and, and inviting people into your life and stepping into theirs. And one of the greatest ways to do that is by volunteering or serving at a pregnancy resource center. Um, and uh, getting connected to even abortion um, at risk or minded young women and men. You know, um, we've always tried to live that way, my wife and I, and I think that um, I can count at this point six or seven kids that are alive because um, we invited them into our lives, their parents into our lives, and it made all the difference. But this is a contentious issue, Laura. So any advice you want to give on how to navigate the tensions of this? Hmm. I'd say with grace and love and kindness. Yeah. Um, I think I just go back to that all the time, that it's the kindness of the Lord that leads to repentance. Yes, yes. And we will not, I don't believe, change somebody's mind or heart by you know, beating them over the head with uh, an agenda. Um, but I think in having loving conversations um, and speaking truth, but with compassion and love. And, and back to, you know, about teaching our children too, I feel like we need to encourage parents who maybe don't have a story like you do, 
um, to be very intentional in talking to their children. And I have to look back at, at our own situation and think I was probably guilty of thinking that because I worked in a pregnancy center yeah. that my kids would just get it, you yeah. know, like by osmosis, they would understand yes. what it means. Yes. And, and I probably could have been much more intentional. And there are resources available that we can use. And a focus on the family always puts out something to help yes. parents talking to their kids and um, so that we can in, you know, very intentionally start the conversations at home and then, be, and then that helps them to be prepared and us to be prepared, I think, too, to then to talk to others. Yeah, I would say absolutely. We all need to make sure we have the conversation and not assume. I like to think of it this way. Even pastors' kids need the gospel, right? <laughs> yeah, right. And I do think to take it back to uh, our faith, I think a lot of this starts with the authority of the word of God in our lives, that if we can settle that, that the word of God is the final authority in our lives, then our ethics flow from there. And I think we do land in the right place. Um, I would love for you to talk, Laura, before we wrap up about the discipleship end of this, because I know that CareNet has really embraced a, a movement really within the church to make disciples who know and live uh, the pro-life message. Yeah, um, you know, beyond the initial uh, uh, pregnancy confirmation, we uh, very much try to move women into our parenting program where they can stay until their baby turns a year old and they're uh, assigned a, a volunteer mentor who they meet with um, twice a month. And, um, but then we know that we are not the church and we want women to then be able to move into community in a body of believers. And... Um, that's where that ongoing discipleship is so important. And we, and we need churches like Woodside you know, who are willing to talk about this um, because then there's people in those congregations then who are willing to step into and do life with somebody who may be struggling, who may have considered abortion or who may have a, a child and is a single parent. Um, and so that is that next piece that's needed beyond what we can do. I would, yeah. I would agree with that because I, it's one of the greatest things and one of my biggest hopes is that we can get the church much more involved. Yes. They have yeah. to be. Yeah. I, I mean, that's how we beat slavery. Yes. It, was, it was the church got involved. Yeah. And we have to do the same thing. Yeah, the abolitionist movement, um, and this is another opportunity for an abolitionist movement. Uh, that is designed to protect life, again, at every stage and at every phase. Please hear us saying that. You know, I, I just want to say, Brad, when I think about the legislative part of this, you talked about um, laws mattering. I think about this quote from Dr. King about a law can't stop you, from, can't make you love me, but it can stop you from lynching me. And that matters, yes, right? absolutely. And so let's make sure that we are thinking about this both on the relational and legislative end of things. And I would just add one thing. You talked about navigating, Laura, through these conversations with Grace. I would add one word, and that is patience, right? Uh, how many of us get anything on the first time uh, around? I'm guilty of being a slow learner at times. But praise God that he is patient with us. And uh, stay in the conversation. Uh, just because someone may not want to engage right away, uh, don't stop talking to them. Because eventually, I believe that truth wins out. And, uh, and this is a moment of truth for all of us. Well, guys, I really appreciate you. Uh, Brad, would you be willing to say a quick prayer for us? Absolutely. Yeah. 
Heavenly Father, we so thank you for all that you have done for us. And Lord, we just, we lift up life, we lift up what you have given to us, and we just offer it back to you. And we just pray, Lord, that you would bless this nation with um, an awe for life, that we would look at it and that we would uh, respect it as you have required us to do, Lord. We just pray that you would be in our hearts and our minds, that you would guide us and that you would lead us and that we would stand up and be the voice for the voiceless as you have commanded us to do. We thank you, we praise you, and we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, on behalf of Brad and Laura, we're so grateful that you tuned in. Let me just close by saying there are resources that are linked uh, in the postscript for this particular episode. And I do want to say, if you are pregnant, we celebrate with you uh, that beautiful gift of life that God is giving you. Know that that's an extraordinary gift, but maybe you need support. So I would encourage you to connect with CareNet, Berkeley, Detroit, if you find that you need support in this season. Or maybe you are wanting to go deeper and to learn more and to get involved in what we've called an abolitionist movement, uh, maybe you can connect with Right to Life. Uh, These organizations are worthy of our support. So I would encourage you to find out more uh, in the links that are provided for you above. And just know that as a church, uh, this is just the beginning of the conversation. We are committed to keeping this conversation going and being a people of life. Listen, I appreciate you joining me. I can't wait till we're together again next time on the next edition of The Link. 